Hey guys, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about the PG&E bankruptcy filing and some personnel issues in both the Los Angeles Police Department and Sheriff's Department. There will be absolutely a lot more of stuff to talk about regarding both of these departments in the coming weeks. How's it going, Bushido? Uh, it's good. I mean, in case everyone didn't notice, it's uh, Thursday when we were recording this and it's really <laughs> wet out there. Extremely wet. But it, what got me when I was trying to like make my way through the city on foot to like trains was how many intersections were flooded after like an hour, maybe two hours worth of rain. And like, it was heavy rain, but like, apparently the PCH tunnel is beginning to flood and all the infrastructure that doesn't work when things aren't broken is just even worse. Oh, absolutely. And can you imagine how much water must be flowing down the uh, concrete spillways of the LA River right now? Oh, yeah. Well, and I, what what I wanted to, to talk about before we get into the other stories is the fact that Eric Garcetti has decided he's not running for he president. Is we, not. we need to talk about that, uh, which, A, I don't know why he called a press conference. There's no <laughs> reason to do that. It could have been an email, um, but his <laughs> whole thing. Tweet. Well, his whole thing is like, I need to finish the job at home, and it's like you haven't started the job at home. Uh, yeah, um, and even his twenty-eight by twenty-eight plan is getting some pushback from it Metro. Is. There's like, there's a lot of things that he's been championing as far as taglines, and I think he thought he wouldn't be around long enough to actually have to like follow through on them. That now he's locked in until. He's up for re-election in twenty twenty-two, right? I believe so. Yes, because he was um, unopposed. In the last election cycle. Yeah, in 2017. Yeah. yeah. So I think he's this This is the last, he was the last mayor that gets elected on a, mm-hmm. uh, an odd year, correct? Yeah. Now everything is being cycled together. So that should be very interesting to see what he's going to do in the next couple of years here because, or four years actually, um, three, three, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's going to be interesting to see what he's going to have to do to actually deal with those things because he genuinely did seem to believe that he wasn't going to be sticking around to see any of the uh, any of these things coming to fruition or in many instances, not coming to fruition. Well, there was a headline I saw today, and I forget where I saw it, and I'm not going to go look for it because it wasn't interesting (laughs) enough to, like, justify that amount of work. But it was basically saying that being the mayor of L.A. is, like, a political um, dead end. Like, people don't seem to... Well, but it's not because these guys all go into the private sector. Like, he can just go pull a Villaraigosa. Like, Villaraigosa left office pretty much broke and has spent the last, like, several years pulling down million dollar contracts from charter schools and developers and like Eric Garcetti isn't going to get political power but he's just going to continue to gain wealth and power and continue to be like an influence broker in the city Uh, maybe he gets appointed to Dianne Feinstein's seat but at this point I don't think that would trend well for him I think uh, Gavin Newsom would want somebody young and dynamic and somebody who's actually got a future. Whereas like <laughs> Eric Garcetti getting appointed to the Senate, I don't see him getting reelected to that position. I doubt it. You know, yeah. in, in 2017, he got, uh, you know, the voter turnout was, was incredibly so low. It was like 11% across the city. Garcetti got 9% of the electorate that actually voted for him. And that's, you know, if you include all the people who didn't turn out. So like, he's not somebody who inspires a whole lot of confidence here in the city he's running so I don't really see him being able to inspire confidence in the state. Uh, Sounds like we don't have to worry about that though. Uh, It it was also weird the UTLA strike being a wake-up call for him because it's like dude you've literally been in office (laughs) since 2013. Supervising the largest increase in homelessness. Well and how are you not, how did you not know that your school district was this broken? It's (laughs) been this broken the entire time and the dude that you appointed to try and quote fix it whose job was basically to go in and be an asshole like business guy and be like oh no you have to take 50 kids in 
class. That's the only way we can make yep. the math work. He ended up being the largest impediment to the negotiations with UTLA. Absolutely. I can't see Butner sticking around super long. Like, I hope he kind of gets the message and, like, kicks rocks. Um, I also, like... I'm still curious to see what um, uh, Tony Thurman does because um, we haven't heard a whole lot from the state. So hopefully we're going to be seeing with the agreements to limit charter schools and the demand for more funding in local schools, the state stepping in. But I guess we'll kind of have to see if, if uh, the state intendant of public schools is going to make any bold moves. Yeah, and it's also going to come down to how much of an effort Newsom feels like putting behind this because it's – Tony Thurman is not going to be able to do that much without the support of Newsom to like rally yeah. the assembly and the Senate to actually make some moves to increase the funding levels that the well, school system gets. Yeah, and before we move on real quick, it's it's uh, Newsom's already trying to throw cold water on the uh, split rules initiative for 2020 on Prop 13 and saying there are better ways to raise money. It's like, no, no, we just tax the corporations, buddy. Like That's, that's how we raise the money. Um, it, it's pretty simple. Uh, but speaking of other things that should be simple and aren't, uh, we have this really fun privatized utility system here in California. So privatized state authorized monopoly. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. So Pacific Gas and Electric, yeah. after months of questions surrounding their liability in the worst wildfire in California's history, Pacific Gas and Electric filed on Tuesday for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protections. These protections will allow the company to continue to operate while it comes up with a way to pay its debts. Uh, this actually is not their first time declaring bankruptcy, and they uh, previously did so back in 2001 when a drought led to a massive decline in their capacity to generate hydroelectric power. Uh, most people probably don't remember when that happened, but yeah. it was a thing. Well, and also that's one of the reasons they've switched to buying power from out of state, uh, and yep. they've also switched to uh, using being a, a, like accepting a lot more gas plants. Like we haven't mm-hmm. bought coal capacity online, but we've gotten a lot of gas plants online yes, in that we time. Have. Uh, we also have had a, a massive increase in solar and wind. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, so this, this move is coming as uh, PG&E is facing down potentially billions of dollars in liability related to the Camp Wildfire, the largest, deadliest, and most destructive in California's history. And it's the deadliest wildfire in the U.S. since 1918. One hundred years we capped off with that. The campfire, of course, killed 86 civilians burned over 150,000 acres and was estimated to have cost over $16.5 billion. PG&E is in total facing an estimated $30 billion in liabilities tied to wildfires over the last two years and is responsible for sparking over 2,000 fires over the last three and a half years and has been fined nine times for electrical safety violations over the same three and a half year period. And this was something that PG&E has been on the hook for for a while. The um, uh, Tubbs fire, I believe, up in Mm -hmm. Santa Rosa was the one where they found that the power lines helped take the fire directly to these neighborhoods in the excerpts of Santa Rosa because they weren't trimming the foliage and the the tree branches that were hanging over it. So that was just tinder. And as soon as those power lines caught, it's literally a straight shot for that fire to get into neighborhoods and just, you know, in a a matter of hours, just leveled whole blocks. Um, And this is something that PG&E had been saying, hey, we can't afford to do that. We can't afford to do this maintenance Mm -hmm. Uh, because remember, they're still profit oriented, which is one thing if we were to like nationalize them, they wouldn't be. But (laughs) well, but publicly entitize them or whatever, whatever it is when the state takes over rather than the nation. Um, Anyway, so the L.A. Times reported this week that the utility has actually already started skipping making payments to victims of the 2015 Butte fire 
fire, which was caused by a tree falling on a PG&E power line. Uh, there are fears that this bankruptcy filing could result in increased electricity costs for ratepayers, as the bankruptcy would likely lead to increased borrowing costs for the utility. So it all, you know, that's the type of thing where trickle down actually does happen. It's trickle down costs. Well, and it's also something where the shareholders did not want the bankruptcy to come for because sure. there were other private financing options out there that the shareholders believed would be cheaper for them. Because mm-hmm. I also think a lot of shareholders are afraid that. This many bankruptcies, this large, this close together is going yeah. to be a reason to make PG&E stop existing in the privatized form it's at. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> you know probably not the worst thing, but there's a lot of folks <laughs> no. who have like been cashing checks from our utility that are afraid they won't be able to keep cash in those checks. Yeah, which I mean, it's it was being sold as one of the safest types of investments that they could make. But mm-hmm. the reality is that if it's not doing the job that it's supposed to be doing, then it's not actually as safe as they thought it was. It's kind of like how that whole subprime mortgage thing <laughs> exploded on us uh, about a decade ago. <laughs> um, so this is also likely to me- lead to some lean times in the state's solar and wind power industry as they're both reliant upon the current rate structure to keep them cash flow positive. Uh, The bankruptcy could open the door in this situation to allow PG&E to renegotiate those rates, dropping them uh, to help pay off their debts, which then means that the solar and wind operators have less cash coming into their pockets. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bankruptcy also comes at a time when there is a resurgent call from critics of PG&E for California to either split the utility up into smaller regional bodies or convert it wholesale into a public entity altogether. Uh, Interestingly, San Francisco has actually begun exploring the possibility of acquiring all of the utilities' infrastructures within their city. Uh, a twist in any plans for a government takeover is that doing so could settle the state with local, state or local agencies with huge liabilities from future fires unless uh, that kind of a conversion was accompanied with massive increase in infrastructure improvements up and down the state to take care of those issues surrounding the tree trimming, the maintenance of all of the infrastructure uh, and everything else because those infrastructure issues are still there and uh, those aging cables poorly maintained brush and trees in the vicinity of the power lines are likely to spark more fires in the future causing more damage more death and yeah and one well, like the Woolsey fire that started at Santa Susana like oh, yeah. that started on a literal Superfund site uh, filled with toxic materials uh, and seemed to have been sparked by unmaintained brush sitting next to some PG&E yep. transformers uh, it's it's kind of uh, a little bit scary that they're looking at cutting some of their investment or future investment in solar and wind because right now we're on the cusp of developing the strategic long-term plan for DWP. Mm-hmm. DWP is going to take into account, are there going to be more solar farms, more wind farms, or is it going to be a better idea to like refire some of the ba- gas plants that we've been looking at? So as LADWP moves forward and tries to figure out what its future is going to look like just for the LA basin, PG&E is kind of going to st- set the statewide tempo. And it's, it's really time for like the Assembly and the Senate and the governor to step in and do something about this because we've had now two decades of PG&E behaving badly and not just, you know, creating hardships for consumers and ratepayers, but ki- creating actual like life-threatening conditions. And killing people. Yeah. I mean, not just life-threatening, but there are hundreds of people who have died as a result of the fires sparked by PG&E. I mean, 86 in the last fire alone. Yeah. Uh, In addition to apparently there are still three people missing. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Uh, I mean, I was briefly glancing at the Wikipedia page for it this morning, uh, and there apparently are three people missing. Or at least that's what the Wikipedia page says. Yeah, no, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. It's, it's, you know, literal an entire town of like 90,000 people basically disappeared off the the map in like one night. Unbelievable. Yeah, no, it it was, you know, incredibly apocalyptic stuff. And we're going to be seeing more of it. You know, this this rain that sounds like a hellmouth is going to open up and swallow L.A. 
fingers crossed on that one. <laughs> no, I, I'm serious about this. Just to divert again, like Trump announced today to, to dip my tone to national politics real quick. Uh, Trump, I guess it came out today that Trump has been thinking about possibly appointing Herman Cain, uh, pizza man. And, what? Yeah. And uh, also ran GOP contender to hold on. Hold on. Do you know? I don't care what position it is. I don't care what position it is. It's the same reaction. Keep board, going. Board of the Federal Reserve. <laughs> he wants to put Herman Cain in charge of monetary policy. All I can think of right now is that the the Cain train ad, the end of it with that oh, extremely just just weird wink. Yeah, no, it's he, the, everything about Herman Cain is creepy. Also, it has a bunch of sexual harassment oh, yeah. allegations following him and a bunch of like hush money payouts to uh, women he worked with or otherwise socialized with. So, you know, that'll be, that, that's a great thing. Uh, great minds think alike. But uh, <laughs> on a day when that kind of news comes out and I'm kind of like hoping that this hellmouth like thunderstorm washes LA clean, <laughs> we just know in about three months we're back into fire season. Like actually oh, as soon as sure. February is over, we're back into fire season because we don't get this rain for more than a month. And it's, uh, we're going to not only see like our power infrastructure strained, but we're also going to see like our firefighting resources strained. And that's one thing that PG&E doesn't pay for. Like we're paying for yeah. the firefighters up there. PG&E isn't picking up the entire tab. It's kind of a weird closed loop where they still get to suck profit out, even though they're costing us a bunch on a societal level. Yeah, it's time for a change. Yeah. All right. So let's let's go to more happy stuff. Oh, uh, today there is not a single piece of news that we're talking about today that is in any way happy. Uh, so uh, there was a scandal that broke with the LA Times where they were charting the uh, very discriminatory practices, uh, basically stop and frisk in a car of LAPD's Metro Division. Uh, mm-hmm. We're not going to cover that right now because I got two organizers from Stop LAPD Spying Coalition to come and talk to me about this on the longer form interview podcast. Oh, nice. So we're going to be covering the Metro scandal, but there is plenty of other bad LAPD behavior. Uh, not not to uh, Before we get into the story, I should mention that Black Lives Matter is starting off a boycott of 24-hour fitness. So if you're a member at 24-hour fitness, cancel that membership. If you've got friends that do it, Remind them that like they shouldn't patronize places that call the cops to kill black people. But so LAPD has a lot of very like deep-seated cultural problems yes. with like white supremacy and uh, patriarchal culture. And now there is a massive scandal erupting around a family in LAPD that has caused a lot of scandal recently. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and dive into these allegations of sexual assault, sexual uh, harassment, and uh, revenge porn because you know let's check all the boxes on the the terrible chart. It's, it's incredible. Uh, along with apparently you know, gross misconduct with a subordinate officer uh, using uh, department uh, property. Anyway, so uh, before we actually get into the Viegas family, uh, let's first bring up uh, Lillian Carranza. So, um, and, and just as a, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. So <laughs> in, in the latest of a string of complaints against the department, Captain Lillian Carranza has filed a lawsuit against the LAPD alleging that she was the victim of sexual harassment and a hostile work environment. The allegations stem from a, uh, quote unquote, deeply humiliating photo of a nude woman being passed around the police force by some people who were claiming that the photo was of Captain Carranza. Uh, the photo, of course, was not, in fact, of Captain Carranza, but 
uh, keeps getting better from here. So the publication and circulation of nude photographs has definitely become a tactic uh, of certain segments of our society in recent years that we keep seeing more and more of. In just the last month or so, some right wing media outlets and 4chan users were uh, claiming that there was this photo of a nude woman in a bathtub holding a vape pen. Uh, and they were saying that that was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, of course, this claim was very interestingly debunked by a uh, foot fetish expert on Reddit. And um, that really is just kind of telling you about what kind of a world we live in right now. I mean, also, the, the photo is also debunked, not to take too much away from the foot yeah, yeah. fetish guy who finally found a good <laughs> use for that. But uh, the photo is also debunked because through reverse image searches because the woman who published it is sort of an adult cam model. Ah. So this photo had been in circulation for three or four years. There was nothing super new about it. And it's not the first time she's been misidentified yeah. to try and embarrass another woman. So Yeah, and they just put the text on this thing saying that it was from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Instagram. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, a, it, it's, it, it's frustrating. Yeah, it's super dark. Um, so getting back to the LAPD here, Captain Carranza is claiming that the LAPD knew that the image in question uh, was being repeatedly shared by department personnel along with derogatory comments about her. And the picture, picture was often being shared alongside another sexually explicit image uh, of an, uh, another LAPD officer, or sorry, I believe it's actually Landora Police Department, uh, Detective Isabel Villegas. Uh, that's where we start getting into the Viegas fund. So Detective Viegas reported her situation to the Glendora Police Department last November and now has a restraining order against the male officer who she is claiming started circulating that image. Um, in an interview regarding her situation, Carranza, uh, Detective Carranza said, quote, the chief encourages us to be vocal and transparent, but nothing could be further from the truth when it comes to sexual harassment. You are given a gag order and then you do and then they do nothing to correct it. Zero tolerance in the LAPD for such behavior is symbolic. The reality is it is tolerated. Carranza was apparently ordered by the department not to discuss her specific allegations. And of course, the LAPD does not comment on ongoing litigation. Carranza has also said that she endured years of sexual harassment inside a hostile workplace for women that included, quote, verbal harassment, epithets, derogatory comments, and or slurs. Her complaint also cites an incident surrounding a November 2013 recording that was made of Detective Frank Liga, who was teaching a training class at the time. Uh, that recording was captured on audio of uh, Frank Liga saying that Carranza was a, quote, very cute little Hispanic lady and that she had, quote, been swapped around a bunch of times. Yep. Uh, the de de that detective, uh, Frank Liga, again, also suggested that she could not find her behind with her hands, according to the lawsuit. Carranza is also claiming that the department was aware of the recording, but did not inform her about it until the officer who actually made the recording approached her with the recording. It, so in another... It just keeps going. In another LAPD sexual harassment story from this past year, uh, or actually maybe it was from 2017, I forget, sorry, uh, the city settled a retaliation case for $1.8 million after the judge cut a $3 million jury award. Uh, in that case, Officer Linda Alstott was put under surveillance by her boss as a means of retaliation for her having reported his sexual harassment. This is a great department we're talking about right now. Yeah. They're, they're, come on, guys. you got to deal with this stuff. In addition to all of this, LAPD officer Daniel Reedy is currently under investigation by police and prosecutors after Detective Villegas accused him of assault and distributing explicit images of her without her permission. Villegas has admitted to having an extramarital affair with Reedy, and she now has a restraining order against him. Tying all of this together, here's a quick quote from the LA Times because they summed it up very, very nicely. 
uh, giving you a little bit more insight into what's going on at LAPD. So Viegas, or sorry, quote, Viegas is married to Jorge Viegas, the former assistant chief. He is the subject of an internal affairs investigation after sources said undercover officers officers witnessed him and a female subordinate in what appeared to be sexual activity inside his department-issued car outside a bar. Viegas announced his retirement in October and has declined to comment. And Viegas' resignation uh, and retirement actually brought to the forefront some discussion of drop the the, uh, deferred retirement option plan. Uh, And basically he, because he decided not to retire in 2015 and put off his retirement until 2020, he was going to bank an extra million dollars. Not a million dollar total pension, an extra million. I think even with him taking the time off, he's still looking at a two and a half million dollar pension uh, over the course of his life, uh, like an insanely huge pension for a guy who's been a, a civil servant. This also ties into the fact that a, a, a couple months ago, we learned that the L.A. County Sheriff's Department is the largest, uh, uh, not villain, but I guess the, the department with the most sexual harassment claims and payouts in the entire county and, and accounts for like 45% of the money that the entire county of LA has paid out and this, the single largest department for that kind of stuff. It's almost like policing is fundamentally broken. It's almost like having these departments that are incredibly toxic and violent and run like military institutions leads to people within those institutions thinking that's the way to conduct themselves in society. Yeah. End rant. <laughs> So, All right, so let's move on to more stuff that's going to confirm what we just <laughs> talked about. But this time, we're going to we're gonna hop out to the county level and talk about um, was supposed to be kind of progressive sheriff Villanueva, yeah. who as soon, as soon as he got into office was like, nope, I'm a cop. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So Alex Villanueva has made some serious waves in the L.A. County Sheriff's Department since he won election to the head of that department last November. One of his first steps was to purge a large number of senior staff who he claimed had been remnants of the Lee Baca era scandals and that needed to be dealt with. Uh, aside from that purge, he made a surprise move by reinstating a former deputy who had lost his job amid claims of stalking and domestic abuse. The deputy in question, Karen Carl Mondoyan, was fired in 2016 by then Sheriff McDonald after a fellow deputy alleged Mondoyan had grabbed her by the neck, uh, tried to break into her home twice sent her harassing text messages, and admitted to listening to her conversations. The county appeals board board heard the case and let the dismissal stand. Uh, Mendoyan eventually became the volunteer driver for Villanueva and was instrumental in whipping up support for Villanueva among deputy organizations, which proved vital to his successful bid for the top spot in the department. And this is something we really should talk about, because one of the things that Villanueva Uh, was able to win a lot of support for amongst the rank-and-file deputies was he let them know he was not going to be as hard on them. And that's the same thinking that he used to bring back Mendoyan when he was like, oh, you know, while it was correct that he was fired under that old policy, we're changing the policy now and his stuff isn't treated as seriously, uh, which also comes with his delisting 150 things that a deputy can do to get on, like, the bad deputies list or face, like, internal review or some sort of internal sanction. So the the deputies union threw in for Villanueva because they knew they wouldn't be prosecuted for their bad behavior underneath him, and Mendoyan basically sells that. Like, he was the deputy, he was the face of the to a lot of the rank and file. So, of course, Villanueva is going to make sure that that guy gets his due, as it were. Um, And it's um, kind of astounding that he he did this and it created so much uh, backlash that the County Board of Supervisors is getting involved. Yeah, so when questioned about the reinstatement of Mendoya, Villanueva reasoned that any departmental discipline over claims of domestic violence should be requiring criminal charges be filed 
uh, which is a very tough bar to meet, and that the allegations are related to the employment within the department, neither of which he argues applied in the case of Mendoyan. Because we all know that cops are the best at investigating other cops. They, they yeah. always, always make sure we find out the truth. Yeah. Um, a motion, so going back to the Board of Supervisors that you were just alluding to a moment ago, a motion was passed this week by three of the five members of the LA County Board of Supervisors regarding Villanueva's steps uh, with Mendoyan. Supervisors Mark Ridley-Thomas and Janice Hahn were absent for the vote, so it was unanimous aside for the absentees. Uh, the motion states that, quote, the reinstatement and the reasoning for it sends a disturbing message that a crime victim should not be believed based on the timing of the allegations and one person's doubt about his or her credibility. This approach can further discourage victims from coming forward who are already reluctant to report such crimes for a variety of reasons, including shame, self-doubt, and fear. Villanueva was, of course, present at the supervisors' meeting on Tuesday uh, and told them that they would be they would have a more sympathetic view of the matter if they knew all of the facts surrounding the situation. Yeah, I mean, you know, sure, that... He's a good guy, after all. No, I mean, it seems like we have all the facts we need. Like, trying to break into somebody's house once when they told you to go away, bad. Uh, that's bad yeah. and can generally land, land you in jail if you're yeah. a not-cop. Mm -hmm. uh, doing it twice is really bad. Uh, physically <laughs> harming someone or threatening to harm them, super bad, uh, unless you have the protection of the badge and in that thin blue line. In which case, you line. just get fired or in this case, the rehired. Thin, yeah, yeah, or in this case, the thin beige line, I guess. Yeah, khaki tan. Hunter green, I don't know. Uh, they, different uniforms, different Yeah, colors. I... It, this is all super, super frustrating, uh, but we do have some good stuff for you all to do if you want to let the carceral state know that it can go like F itself. Mm. Uh, so February 7th, 9 a.m. at 210 West Temple, uh, court support for Dr. Molina Abdullah as she goes in Hell for yeah. another hearing about the eight charges that the L.A. City's L.A. City Attorney Office is coming after her for, which are all incredibly stupid and ridiculous and do not make a lot of sense. Didn't they file those charges on literally like the last possible day for the statute for, of limitations? For some of them, because these <laughs> these eight charges span three years and span several meetings. So there are times where she was accused of disrupting a meeting but wasn't charged with that. And they decided finally, gotcha. oh, hey, we're going to slap these all together. Oh, fun. Um, the last time there were 150 people that showed up. So let's try and get that bigger and bigger Every time, you know, For if sure. we can get 300 or 400 or 500 people to jam the steps of the courthouse, Mike Fuhrer and his attorneys are going to have a much harder time uh, pushing forward with this case for believing that it's going to do anything good for uh, the city. Um, and this also falls on the heels of a couple of other Black Lives Matter leaders uh, having their suspensions uh, finally finished mm -hmm. uh, because they're on probation with the, uh, the police commission. So they couldn't go for a year. Mm -hmm. Those suspensions have been lifted. Uh, police commission meetings happen. Uh, it's every Tuesday morning, I believe. I right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it, you're always welcome to show up and make some comment. And of course, let sometimes the, they do change them with very, very little notice. Or cancel them altogether. Yeah. Um, but you can go tell folks like Steve Soberoff, the president of the L.A. Police Commission, uh, to <laughs> prosecute killer cops and to stop arresting unhoused individuals and to do something useful. Oh, and then uh, just to talk to touch on uh, electoral politics real quick, we have a special election coming up in CD12, which is the council district in the north end of the valley, Santa Clarita. Uh, if you go to CalArts or you go out 
out to uh, ride the roller coasters at Six Flags, mm-hmm. um, or you're in Northridge, or if you're in Porter Ranch, touring the lovely Aliso Canyon gas storage facility that is still leaking it's and still making leaking. people yep. sick, uh, but they still haven't like fully shuttered it. They're just not using it, so it's just a, a mountain of gas that's just poisoning an entire neighborhood. It's fantastic. Slowly seeping out. But now is our chance to actually flip that seat, because yes, it was it the only Republican seat on the city council. Uh, there are a couple of really good progressives up there. There are a lot of people thrown into the race. It looks like it's going to be like a 20 contender race when it's all said and done. Uh, but those wow. filings are coming up in February, so we're going to have the race set for June 5th, and we should know who our candidates are in about two, two and a half weeks. So mm-hmm. uh, then it's going to be off to the races, and we'll keep you all updated on that, because my feeling is that's going to be a huge precursor to what we look at in 2020, not just for local races, but for state races. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see if we can continue this momentum of bringing new voters in, because that's fundamentally where I think our efforts should be. I don't care about winning over Republicans at this point. I think the way that we fix LA and the way that we fix the nation is we get young people and people who aren't economically advantaged to vote, mm-hmm. uh, because if we can get a critical mass and young people and poor people can write the tax code, we would have a much better tax code. You mean we wouldn't be trying to repeal the estate tax? Oh, my God. Bernie's tax today made me really happy. 77% on, on wealth over a billion dollars. That would be great. My Buddha just taking all of the Walton's money and doing something useful with it. And so really quick to tie in with that, there's also another special election that's going to be coming up to replace Ref Rodriguez on the uh, L.A. Oh, County call, yeah. uh, Board of Education. Uh, and that one's going to probably even end up being, uh, I, I've heard that it's going to be the potentially the most expensive election in state history. Jeez. And the last one was really expensive. Exactly. So that one set the tone. And now this, uh, again, is... It is for the the single seat that gets to flip the decisions between whether it is the uh, the charter school supporters or the union supporters on on the school board. So it is a critical seat. Though even with it uh, currently tilted a little bit towards the charter schools, mm-hmm. uh, they still voted four to one to uh, 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 agree with the moratorium yeah. on opening new charters, which is a real sea change. Like the strike changed <laughs> because, a lot. Yeah, the <laughs> strike scared the hell out of the school board, and it should. It it's almost like there's power and solidarity yeah. in action. But yeah, that one's uh, that one's really good. Oh, and also, lastly, before we wrap this up, yeah, Pete, yeah. since we're talking education stuff, the accelerated charter schools teachers have finished their strike. Uh, they got most of what they were looking for as far as having their demands met uh, yeah. to go back to school. Accelerated did not, uh, as the principal was threatening, you know, shutter completely just to, to screw over the uh-huh. teachers. Uh, so that's another one we can chalk up. It's a smaller one, but it also shows the power of like wildcat strikes. And it shows how we can start organizing folks that are in unorganized employment environments and how we really need to start doing that. If yeah. you've seen the, the layoffs from BuzzFeed and Huffington Post and the other media layouts and notice like, hey, um, a lot of people on my Twitter timeline are suddenly out of jobs. Yeah. Uh, the way we fix that is by unionizing. Like New York Magazine just announced that they have a union today. The Union's been doing great work since they Hell unionized. Yeah, they have. <laughs> so uh, you know, just uh, uh, before LA we Times sign off, unionized with the, the guild. Yeah, well, and it's also one thing to look at with the cops. They have a really strong, wealthy union, and it gives them a lot of protection. And cop unions are bad, and we shouldn't have them. Other unions are good, and everyone should <laughs> I have I think we them. should say all other unions are good? Is that yeah. Yeah, I mean, firefighter fair? unions are good. Uh, yeah. EMT unions are good. Um, billionaire unions are bad. Because <laughs> they're going to make a union out of billionaires. They have that, and they, they, they <laughs> call them country clubs, and they call them Davos, and they're just absolute waste of time. And if you see uh, Elon Musk... 
uh, straight up yell at him for flying from LAX to Van Nuys in a $70 million that is, jet. That is absurd. It's terrible, and he should not build our infrastructure. So that's no. that's what I've got for this week. You got oh, anything else, Chris? I, I, w- I was just going to point out really quick that uh, highlighting the strength of that Wildcat strike down at the Accelerated Charters, that was 80 teachers. Yeah. And so the point here is that even if you work in a small-ish company and there aren't that many, organizing works. Organizing can make a difference. Get it done. Make unions everywhere. Solidarity to the people. Sweet. Well, y'all have a, a dry and prosperous beginning to uh, to February, and uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. <laughs> it's not going to be dry.